Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We've carried on. We've decided to continue watching Doctor Who on this holiday Monday for you uh, with The Demons, episode one. Yep. We're a little early for Beltane. But not by much. Ish. It's, yeah, Beltane's April 30th. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So happy. Uh, what's the opposite of belated? Early. Early, yes, that's the opposite of belated. <laughs> Happy early Beltane. <laughs> yes, uh, de- the demons. Um, you you had seen this one before, is but this is way one of those way back ones. Not way way back. Um, like it's it would have been in the two thousands at some point. So okay. yeah, because like I had it on. I think uh, maybe not. Maybe I haven't seen this since probably college. So late nineties, I guess. Yeah. I think that's when I, I think that's when I watched it because I think that's when I had it on. VHS, I think. Like off the TV or something, or no, no, no. I like I purchased this at Suncoast Video, the black and white edition. Either that or my mom had it. I think I bought that one. This one though, I think I think it was mine. That's why it sticks out because I remember at your old place way back when you had a pile of videotapes leaned up against a wall, mm-hmm. uh, and I for some reason I remember the demons being mm-hmm. one of the actual ones with a cover and not one just taped off the TV. Yep. Yeah. I don't even know when John Pertwee stories would have aired because my mom never taped those. So never taped them at all. Really? I don't think so. No, that was they. They. They were not. Uh, I mean, maybe she would have if they would have come around again after she was like. Eh, probably not because we didn't have that much money and VHS tapes were not super cheap. So <laughs> this is how we lost Doctor Who episodes in the first place. <laughs> it is. So I think she I think she had to make some choices in terms of what was going to be, you know, captured on tape. And then it's possible that, you know, by the time the prices came down that they just weren't showing John Pertwee stories at that point. And that's how I ended up with access to like a good chunk of Tom Baker and then pretty much all of everything after him. Mm, I see. Well, uh, I hope this was a, a pleasant enough revisiting or perhaps first time. Did any of it seem familiar to you at all? Yeah, it did. Like I could not have told you in specific what was going to happen, but as things like just very, very vaguely familiar, the characters and, mm-hmm. and stuff. So, um, yeah, nothing is standing out as like, oh, I remember that part, but it just sort of like has a, a vague familiarity to the whole to the whole thing. It's a five part story. This, I know. Well, it's weird because uh, the previous season of Doctor Who, season seven, was uh, twenty five episodes. They did four parts and then three seven part stories, and they got renewed for the same twenty five episode order, and which did not exactly fit five stories as well as it fit four. So hence uh, the rarity, the I think probably the only time ever that it was intended to be a five-part story because the Mind Robber had an episode tacked on and the Dominators had an episode removed, basically. So this is, this is it. You're watching history, a purposely five-part story by Guy Leopold, noted writer Guy Leopold. Do you know who Guy Leopold is? Uh, no. I mean, the name sounded familiar because, you know, I've listened to every episode of Doctor Who, The Writer's Room, so obviously I've heard his name said before, but, uh, no, it's not a name that sticks out in my head. It's Barry Letts and Robert Sloman, essentially. Uh, okay. So, yep, that would explain why it sort of was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) It's pseudonym. Yeah. I think it's the only time they, um, they go with the pseudonym and they, um, uh, they, I think it's just credited Robert Sloman for all the rest of the time. They write the, basically, Letts and Sloman... Mm -hmm. Uh, write the season finale for 
the four seasons basically wow. yeah so not a bad gig if you can get it yeah i guess so mm-hmm. so uh yes um there's there's uh, uh satanism mm-hmm. and witchcraft and wind <laughs> and night shoots and film mm-hmm. all these things where do you want to start I mean, it's kind of a banger of a first episode. Like, uh-huh. it starts out pretty exciting. Like, I, you know, knowing that you know they're gonna tap through the 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 rock and get into the barrow at midnight. Like, I was expecting that that would be some sort of climax that we would get in like you know episode three or four. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting them to actually do that at the end of episode one. So everything happened really fast and it was much more exciting here in episode one and now like i'm thinking okay well what do they do with the rest of it <laughs> which yes we're going to find out yeah. um but uh but yeah so it was it was exciting and you have the master yep mm-hmm. he's in this the master's in this yes. i didn't try to shield you too much from that one mm-hmm. no uh, i think i probably as soon as they said the magister i was like oh right that's where the master <laughs> comes into this like that's that's his deal um yeah, I liked. Uh, who's the lady? What's her name again? Miss Hawthorne. Miss Hawthorne with the cloak. I liked her cloak very much, and I pre- like. It's just a good performance. Like she is doing what she thinks is right. She's trying to save her people, and she feels mm-hmm. very earnest about it, which is nice. That's true. I like. I particularly like Professor Horner in this. <laughs> yeah. Cantankerous professor. You know, mm-hmm. I'll do my best to be absolutely super. This is the stage <laughs> for pretty much everything going on. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's pretty funny. And like, at first I was like, okay, why is this guy staging this, this dig like at midnight? And then Mm -hmm. when he points out that it's because he's got a book coming out the next day, I'm like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Like obviously his press agent or somebody was just like, you will sell a lot more books if you do this, this publicity stunt. So he goes along with it just because, uh, and I, and, and he absolutely f- just flat out admits it too. <laughs> it's just great. Yeah, just blatant, uh, on, on BBC three, which at the time did not exist. This is the future. This is the future you see. Uh-huh. So BBC three would exist and would do things like this. So yeah, looking into the future a bit amusing. That is, yeah. I thought I had rem- remembered somebody saying something about that because when he said BBC Three, I was like, "Is there a BBC Three at the time?" Guess not. No. Uh, you were very dis um, disapproving of Joe in the early stages of this episode. I think you you were questioning her uh, intelligence and indeed, uh, but with less um, vociferism, her outfit. Uh, what did you think of Joe? I think it was mostly her outfit oh, I didn't okay. like until she put on the hat. I really like the hat. The it's hat a, was great. Yeah. It's a great hat. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a fan of pantsuits generally. Mm-hmm. Like so, that didn't didn't do much for me. Um, I I don't think I had any pr- real problem oh, with I'm Joe. Oh, maybe um, it was just all about the outfit. I'm sorry. I thought like when she was sort of oh I believe in magic and magic and oh. all this stuff. Oh, I, I, no, it wasn't Joe. I had a problem with it was the doctor. Oh. Because he says, uh, I'm wasting my time trying to turn you into a scientist. And I said, yes, you are. Yes, that, that was it. Why, explain your... Joe is not, nor is she ever going to be a scientist. I feel like that is pretty clear. Right. She has no interest in it. Like she, She's happy to hang around with the doctor and help him and you know, do the things that she's good at doing. Sciencey stuff is not it. Mm. I think the idea that the doctor is even trying to turn her into a scientist shows a fundamental lack of paying attention to what the crap is going on around him. Mm-hmm. Like that actually makes me sad about like sad for their relationship that he 
I don't know. Like, I'm hoping it was just like a one-off comment, but the way that he said it was just like, doctor, doctor, no, that's, this is supposed to be your friend. You're supposed to like, you're supposed to know her and care about her. And like, just to say, I don't know, that line really bothered me because that's just, that's not, that's not where Joe is a Viking. She's really good at some stuff. It's just not that kind of stuff. And you know, he, I feel like he really looks down on her for that. And yeah, okay, s- sure, she's she's curious about the occult. I have no problem with that because, uh, you know, she's grown up on Earth. She's seen some stuff now. She's traveled to other planets. She's seen all kinds of things that are, to her, inexplicable. So why not have thoughts about magic and just wonder? Like, you know, personally, I'm more on the doctor's side that, like, there's an ex- explanation for things if you can, if you can find it. Um, but so I don't have any problem with Joe feeling one way and the doctor feeling another way about it it's just that line about trying to turn her into a scientist that really got under my skin well she is his technically uh her his assistant like hired Mm -hmm. by unit to be his assistant so at some point if he's a scientific advisor really his assistant probably should know something about science uh no clearly not (laughs) because they wouldn't have hired her in the first place right if they wanted somebody that knew anything about science, why would they hire Joe? Because she had an uncle in high places, as the Brigadier said in the first episode. Mm, yep. So, anyway. Of terror of the Autons. Right. But, yeah, I, I think I think it's ma- been made clear over the course of this season that the Doctor does not, you know, for what we're getting now, the Doctor mm-hmm. does not need somebody who knows anything to do with science. Right. Maybe he just meant, like, looking at the universe from a more scientific Maybe. perspective, perhaps. Well, we can hope so, but that is not what he said. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, words, words have meaning. Words have meaning. <laughs> words have meaning. The brigadiers going off to some fancy dinner and the red tux and stuff. Yeah, his like dress uniform type thing. He looked. Mm-hmm. He looked very dashing. He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where he's going, but uh, Benton and Yates are stuck watching the highly highlights from rugby. I'm not sure what what Benton was saying was exactly what was happening on screen as they were watching it, but who knows with rugby? I mean, there are no (laughs) rules in that sport, so how can you even tell? I certainly couldn't. No. No. Um, What else about this episode before I go into a couple of boring details? We were there. We were in that village. We saw various shots, and that's we were standing right there. There was... Mm -hmm. It was it was kind of crazy. Why this is the first time I've actually concentrated in watching this since we actually went to Alborn. So how was that for you? That was neat. It was like you know when that dog is running through the graveyard. It's like we were we were there where that dog was killed. I can't believe you like this story at all. When they start off by killing a dog, I'm very sure he's fine. I don't think that dog was fine. He's fine. (laughs) That was what Stephen said as we were watching. Don't worry, he's fine. He's just fine. Like I'm pretty sure he's not fine. Dog. It's fine. <laughs> oh, poor little Steven. <laughs> He's fine. This is back in the days. This is why I'm very worried about any films made before, like, you know, the 1980s and stuff, when, or maybe 90s, uh, where it's like, oh, yeah, we routinely kill animals. They obviously didn't kill the dog for the TV show, but they certainly didn't um, shy away from potentially killing it off screen. Um, you know, I. Isn't there a website? Does the dog die dot com? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's uh, that's on here at all. <laughs> I should go to check, and I should alter it if it's a publicly yeah. uh, uh, editable field. And I'll say no, he's fine. <laughs> he's probably not. I don't think that dog was fine, and neither was his owner. The look of his owner looking down, going it, that was not the look of oh my dog is fine. What's that? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Nope. That was uh, he died of fright. 
Yeah, it's a rare night shoot, though. Yeah. Uh, a couple of nights of night shoots in uh, in um, in Doctor Who is very rare. They shot a lot of this on film out in that village in Aldbourne because it was very close to London, as we discovered. Um, with the uh, the because of now Christopher Berry returns to direct Doctor Who for the first time since 1966, 67 with Power of the Daleks, and uh, he I don't know if he came up with it, but or they came up with it, but the, what they tried to do is do this new fangled synchronized system of having three film cameras shoot everything and kind of use it with like switching back and forth, but it never worked well. So they mostly had to just abandon that and shoot it all single camera. But I think there were two or three scenes like when the mag- uh, master shows up, mm-hmm. I think is it actually uh, one of those scenes where it, where it did work. I could be wrong about that. So that's a technical thing. Uh, we get a lot more film sequences from this, which I think aids it. That It's why, you know, there's that cloven hoof bar sign. It's still, maybe it's a replica. I think it is a replica. But the fact that like, Doctor Who shooting in that village in 1971 is like still a thing and people nerds like us still make pilgrimages to go and see it I just think it's kind of neat when Doctor Who sort of set up shop in this English village for a a week and a half in the in the um, spring of 1971 to shoot a Doctor Who episode so it was neat yeah, yeah, it was cool. And, you know, it's location shooting when you're actually in a town is a very cool thing. You know, don't get me wrong. I love my quarries. Quarries, yeah. are, quarries are great, but it really does feel like, you know, it has a very a, a, a feeling of place like it's set in this place. Mm-hmm. And not like London or anything yeah. like that, but just at the small little village. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's quite neat. Uh, anything else about part one here before we sign off for another episode of this here podcast? I mean, I like the bar scenes. Like, I always, I always kind of wonder, you know, how exaggerated is this in terms of like, you know, very, very thick country accents right. and the idea that you know all of the, because these people live in the country, they're they're some of them are superstitious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I still enjoy like the the in the bar scene and I kind of like that in any kind of show whether it's in the country or in the city when you just get a bunch of a, a bunch of people gathered together at the local watering hole and sort of gossiping about what's going on in the neighborhood or in the town I just mm-hmm. I dig that and so those scenes those scenes were, were nice yeah it was it was uh it wouldn't seem out of place in an episode of Midsummer Murders about 30 years later yeah absolutely yep like <laughs> That was exactly what I was thinking too. Yeah, was exactly. just like, you know, here it is. All of the external, you know, on on location. It's it's in some some adorable little town somewhere. Uh-huh. And like, yep, that's some things don't change. Yeah, exactly. Both shows can't be wrong. So obviously, there's some <laughs> truth in there somewhere. I feel like we should re-edit that episode because it opens up with the the poor chap uh, getting uh, killed by something, and perhaps as he looks up and goes ah, and then they faded. The Midsummer Murders theme comes up and stuff, and then you could re-edit in. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I was why do I always forget the hero's name in Midsummer Murders? Well, John Nettles. John Nettles, yeah, Tom. Um, Barnaby. Barnaby. Todd. Barnaby. Yep. John Nettles will come in and. And then Barry Jackson will show up, and that'll be very confusing. It'll be confusing, and it's actually Drax who's stuck in exile, but he's also the coroner for <laughs> Aldborn murders. Mm-hmm. That would be amusing. A, a re-edit needs to happen for the season eight Blu-ray, I think. I would watch that show. Yeah. Like, I just actually just want that show where it's like, you know, Barry Jackson's character 
on Midsummer Murders is actually Drax in would, hiding. I would, yeah, yeah, dig it. And we, and we, like, we are. We're only in season nine of of our Midsummer Murders journey, uh, so no spoilers, please. But I do know that Annette Badlin turns up as as sort of she becomes the the corner many years in the future, uh, and so perhaps that actually is um, um, Margaret um, Blotchfeld. Faceday, Slavine, or something, <laughs> and she's actually there as well. So basically, anyone who plays a coroner in Midsummer Murders is an alien in disguise. I like it, but yes, uh, when Steven says no spoilers, he means don't tell us any actors no. that appear in Midsummer Murders at all. Like, obviously, this has been spoiled for you already. You, the Annette Badlin thing has. Oh, that's fine because she's tweeted about it, and I'm more than happy. Okay, so Annette, she's a regular. That's the thing. But like, yeah. But why? Why don't uh, explain the non-spoiler uh, policy? Well, I just when we watch Midsummer Murders, the most exciting part is the opening credits, where we can watch and see like who's going to be in this, and then the next most exciting part is when somebody who was in Doctor Who, who didn't make the opening credits, yes. plays like a small like role, like Cyril Shapps yes. shows up, and Stephen goes bananas. Yes, I saw Cyril Shapps. I still remember that to this day. One of the early episodes, mm-hmm. thinking how how do you bury Cyril Shapps in an episode without putting his name on the opening credits? It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yes, so please don't tell us. Any Doctor Who actors that are that appear in Midsummer Murders because we may not have gotten there yet, and it's much more fun to discover it as it happens than it is to know that it's coming. It is. I wonder if there are any Midsummer Murders actors in the Demons <laughs> actually that show up. We'll keep you posted on this. I don't think Damaris Heyman is that her name has appeared there, um, or any of the others, but we'll let you know. <laughs> I won't. No. That that sounds like homework for you, not me. Probably. All right. Uh, well. Um, on the next episode of Lazy Doctor Who, more comparisons between Midsummer Murders <laughs> and Doctor Who uh, here on the Incomparable Network. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.